Let's have the conversation. WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Well, today we mark uh, the birthday of Joe Slovo. He would have turned 93. May the 23rd, 1926 is when he was born. We have now on the line Helena Dolny. And Helena is an international executive. She's uh, an international executive coach, I should add. And uh, she's also an author and was uh, the wife of Joe Slovo. Helena, thank you very much for fitting us into your schedule. I know that you've been traveling. You just got off a plane. You're now in an Uber. We appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. Mm. This day, how do you mark it? How do you remember it? Maybe then and now. So how would you celebrate birthdays with Joe? And how do you remember it now that he's passed on? I think one of the things I first want to say is I think that this birthday would have been very, very special. If he'd been alive, probably might have been going to um, Pretoria in a wheelchair. But he would have wanted to celebrate um the inauguration of our president-elect, oh. Sir Porter. Um, they were very close. They had a really good working relationship. I think Kempton Park, the negotiations, bonded them into a very special relationship. So this would have been a very, very celebratory birthday, mm. with the inauguration being just two days away. What was he like on a personal level? Because we always have the outside-in perspective, right? You see this giant, uh, how phenomenal he was and all that he contributed to our society. And we forget that he's just flesh and blood, right? He's a human being. So what was he like on a personal note? So I think that one of the things that was very, very special about him was that it didn't matter what was happening in politics, outside of the home. He loved being home with family. Mm-hmm. And he would open the door and come in, and this was his sanctuary of happiness. And close the door and leave all of that behind and just be with you as a person who was pleased to be home. Hmm. Now, you said in a previous interview that you had always believed that he would pass on by assassination and mm. you never expected illness. Just tell me why that was. I mean, was he that kind of person who was driven almost to the point of death to, to want to, to help this country of ours become what we see it to be today? So I think that when he was living in Maputo, which is where I met him, um, and Ruth first was my colleague. She hired me to work with her at the Centre of African Studies. There was always danger. Mm. And some people said that the, the bomb was meant for Joe, that the apartheid regime sent the bomb, hoping that perhaps both of them would die mm. as it was unwrapped and exploded. And I know that first year after Ruth's death was very, very, very hard um, was it meant for me and instead it was you? Mm. Personally, I feel as though Ruth was a fierce activist in her own right. Mm. Um, but there was always that, that presence of danger. And there were many people being assassinated in the 80s, um, you know, whether it was Dulcie September or whether it was the chief rep in Harare. It, it was one person after another and and so you you couldn't think that it couldn't be you if you were somebody in a leadership position like Joe. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then when he started then, you know, you mentioned the difficulties of the year after Ruth first passed away. Um, when mm. he when he started to pick up what was left of his life and started to move on, how then did you and him start to um, change the nature of your relationship, as it were? Mm. So one of the things that happened was the Incomatia Accord, yeah. where people who were um, ANC people in Mozambique were... Um, asked to leave the country and Joe went to Lusaka and I decided that I would do a PhD on land reform and that I would go and work with the African National Congress research department in Lusaka. So that was 19, the end of 1986. So that was, that was the beginning of our living together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when and, did, and again, yes. and again, you know, I was choosing to do something which if Joe was assassinated, it would be something that I would be passionate about yeah. and I would be able to carry on with my life. Yeah. Um, because Joe was like that. He kind of said, you have, to, you have to be aware of danger. And I think this is true for anybody. Which one of us knows that we will be here next week? We may, we may be in a car crash. So he said, you have to be aware that you're not in control of your life. There is always danger in life. And in these circumstances means that you have to take extra special care, but you can't be worried all the time. You can't be anxious. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful about watching out for things. And then you must get on and enjoy life and make the best of it. Hmm. So I think that was the wonderful quality that he had, was not to be fulfilled with anxiety, but rather be... Um, he was a fun-loving person. He had a great sense of humor. <laughs> I, I think sometimes mm-hmm. I would laugh and my stomach would ache from <laughs> laughing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Helena, I don't know if we can still, uh, if you can still hear us. We seem to have lost you there. Can you hear us? I can hear you very oh, well. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. I now want to ask, and I know it's a terribly unfair question because one really never knows, but just taking a look at, uh, you know, the current state of affairs in our country, the good, the bad and the ugly, knowing Joe the way that you did, what do you think his opinion of where we are at the moment as a nation would be? And I know it's a horrible, horrible question to ask, but uh, try at best to, to respond. So, it's very difficult to say what he would think when he's not here to think it himself, so you're projecting. But I would have thought that he'd think that this was the crossroads, that things have been put in place, like the Zonda Commission, and, you know, people kind of say, will anybody go to jail? But I do think this is the crossroads of accountability for the corruption of the last few years, and that he would be hoping that people who are in being elected now in the leadership will be taking that really seriously and saying we, we're turning this around mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and ultimately you know what was his his hope for this country of ours when he when he would share with you his deeper most uh, feelings about where he would like us to go what would he say so you know Dreamers, big dreamers. Oh. You know, when I when I think now about the first national housing accord, it was a million houses in a year, and now I kind of think, dream on, because everybody's learned how difficult mm-hmm. it is to do mm-hmm. things in practice, and so coming in with dreams. Um, but I don't think one should ever give up one's dreams. Mm-hmm. It may take longer. But I think that's what he would be holding on to is that you don't give up. Mm. I love it. Thank you very much. I know we have to let you go because, as I did say, you are in transit. Thank you very much for availing yourself, Helena. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
Bye. Let's wrap it there for the time being. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to just uh, dip into an interview that uh, Joe Slover did um, many, many, many moons ago. It was in 1994, just after the elections. And he had an interview with uh, Peter Dirk Ace. He's a, a satirist. He's an author, a social activist as well. So we'll we'll get that particular uh, conversation in just a moment right now, though. It's 2.30. It's time for your headlines with Kanye Silemanyoni.